0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And we thank you that you have given us your spirit to to hear and treasure and be shaped by and to follow your word, to trust it and to trust you. So Lord, I pray that you would do that miracle in us right now, that as your word is proclaimed, it would be proclaimed faithfully and um, that you would shepherd your people by it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be seated. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Galatians chapter four? Galatians chapter four, we're going to begin reading at verse 12. Galatians four. Galatians four, verse 12, and we'll read to 20. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Thus far, God's word. How could it be that a church that once loved the gospel, which once was so, so appreciative of a pastor simply preaching the word of God to them, how could it be that they would now consider A man who called them to trust in the gospel alone, that they would now consider that man an enemy. It could happen to us, church. God forbid it. But in order for God to forbid it and prevent it, he has actually given us this passage in Galatians to see how it happens. It doesn't just happen out of thin air. So that we can give ourselves to prevent it from happening. From being a church that once loved the gospel to then becoming a church that is angry at people for calling us to believe only the gospel. Our first point is this the Spirit of God works affection for the gospel and those who bring it and receive it. The Spirit of God works affection for the gospel. And those who bring it and receive it, we'll see this in the first uh, four verses. Verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. As far God's word. So Paul has already mentioned in this letter in the book of Galatians the joy. He's already mentioned this joy that the Galatian church received the gospel with. They received it with joy, even though to receive the gospel meant that they were strongly, strongly. Persecuted, They were in danger of losing their families, their homes, their freedom, and their lives. And even with all that pain that came along with the gospel, they considered the news of the gospel to be so sweet and so valuable, worth more than any of those things that they had to give up in order to be those who trusted in the gospel. They heard that though they were enemies of the only God, the God of Israel, and that they stood before that God as guilty and condemned. That God in love sent his own son to become a man in order to rescue them. They heard that Christ Jesus in love, he saw the debt that they owed to God, which is obedience to God's law. And that Christ agreed to assume that burden for them. And so he was born as a man to keep the law on their behalf, to do it for them. And not only that, Christ didn't only see that they had not kept the law of God, but that they had also broken the law of God. And that death and curses and damnation and hell was what they deserved. And that Christ as well agreed to take that for them. And so he went to the cross and took the curse for them, breaking God's law. He did this not only to bring forgiveness, but more than that, to reconcile those who were enemies of God so that they could have his relationship with God as sons and daughters. And Christ rose from the dead. And that when he rose from the dead, he also raised all those with him to new life. No longer as enemies or slaves, but now as dear children of God. Not only forgiven, but now raised to new life to live as God's children. They heard that message. And many, many Galatian pagans heard that message. And most of them hated it absolutely hated it. Not only that, they hated the ones who shared that message. They wanted to kill them. Well, of course they would. If the thing that is most true to your heart is that you hate a person. If somebody offered you the gift of living as that person's son and obeying everything that that person said, you would not consider that good news. But some Galatian pagans didn't hate that offer, that news, that announcement. But they believed it. And they believed that it was actually an offer of peace from God himself. And they wanted to have peace with God on those terms. Now, the custom in that day was to spit on people who were thought to be demon-possessed or messengers of an enemy God. And that's behind those words, you did not scorn or despise me. That's actually in those words. And not only did Paul bring an unattractive message for those who hate God, which is all men and women who are not believers in Christ. Not only did Paul bring an unattractive message for those people who hated God, he delivered it in a very unattractive package. Now, he didn't walk into town into the region of Galatia. He didn't walk into town as a successful, handsome, healthy, wealthy, wise man saying, would you guys like the Lord to do for you what he has done for me? I used to be the kind of guy you guys would all despise, but now I'm the kind of guy you guys would all be jealous of. Would you want the Lord to do for you what he did for me? No, Paul walked into town looking like a man that none of them would have wanted to be. Not one person was jealous of Paul. Paul reminds the Galatians of the reason he happened to stay in Galatia with them. It was because of a bodily ailment, he said, that he preached the gospel to them. Paul came to them with nothing to love if they hated God. He came as a man who called them enemies of God. A man who had done nothing for them. A man who looked nothing like what they wanted to be. But the Holy Spirit opened their eyes when they heard that gospel of Jesus. And he gave them new hearts to believe and treasure the gospel as lovely as And as more precious than even life itself. And because Paul was bringing the good news to them of salvation. That Christ accomplished for them. They were filled with affection for Paul. As well as for the gospel of Christ. Paul's identity. The thing which he stood before them as. Was simply a messenger of Christ bringing Christ's gospel. And that is how the Galatian church was formed. And it was what united them to one another. The word of Christ, the gospel was the sweetest sound to them. And so they loved whoever would bring them that word. And Paul bringing, being a, a preacher, the thing that they expected of him and loved about him, was simply that he would bring them the word of Christ. It was by the gospel that they were saved. Trusting what Christ had done for them to reconcile them to God. Paul didn't give them things to do in order to be saved. He gave them Christ. And he told them that Christ himself would save them if they had faith in Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit takes that gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, and he makes a person new with it immediately. When they believe the old has gone, the new has come, and he works a, a love for the gospel in a person. He works affection for the gospel and for those who bring it and for the other people who receive it. It becomes the greatest thing which we would want from and to give to one another. And so a person, a group of people, giving you the thing that you love the very most will be a group of people that you dearly love. If the thing you, you want the very most is money, and there was a group of people dedicated to giving you as much money as they possibly could, if your greatest love was money, you would have affection for those people. But if your greatest love and affection, the thing that you treasure the most, is the gospel of what Christ has done, it will follow that the people who give that to you are people who you deeply are affectionate for, which is why that brings unity and love and affection for a church family. What can you expect a member of your church to give to you? What do you want the most for that member of your church to do and give to you? Oh, would they talk about Christ with you? Would you please have me over to your home? Remind me of the gospel. Come to my home so I can remind you of the gospel. Can we sing together of the gospel? That is what I love the most. And if you are doing that, I love and treasure you. This is making much of the finished work of Christ what he has accomplished for us on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is how a church fuels that family affection for one another and mostly for the Lord. And that brings us to our second point. Beware of teachers who make much of you by coming up with new obstacles for you. Beware of teachers who make much of you by coming up with new obstacles you. Let's see this in verses 15 to 17. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Thus far God's word. What happened to you, asked Paul. You used to count yourself happy, joyful, blessed. You used to count yourself as happy so long as you were getting the gospel. The thing that I, that I gave you, you used, it used to bring you so much joy, and now it bothers you so much that you treat me like an enemy of yours. You treat me like I'm robbing you of riches rather than giving riches to you. You treat me as if I am calling you to turn away from life when I tell you to turn and trust in Christ alone. When I say turn away from those things that you're trusting in instead of Christ, you treat me as if I'm harming you. But you used to consider it a sweet gift. What happened? Now it didn't happen. By false teachers coming into the Galatians and saying to them, Christianity is wrong. I officially say Christianity is wrong. I'm not a Christian. Follow me. That's not what happened. That probably would not have worked. It didn't come by the false teachers saying, line up here if you want to deny Christ. If you hate the gospel. That's not how it happened. How does Paul say it happened? Those false teachers did two things. They made much of the church members and two, they shut them out or they put an obstacle in their way. Now you might wonder how those things go together, making much of somebody and putting an obstacle in their way, but it's actually the the tactic of false teachers. They set up an obstacle and then they praise the people for meeting that new requirement. Now, how are you going to make a name for yourself as a preacher How are you going to get followers if Jesus' death and resurrection is enough? How are you going to keep people coming back to you, not just to any pastor, not to any church, not to any preacher, how are you going to keep them coming back to you if Christ's death and resurrection is enough? How are you going to establish a brand for yourself or your church? Something that they need to go to you in order to get if Christ and his gospel is enough. So false teachers creep into the church or perhaps they're just born into church families and they say, I see that you have faith in Christ. Too bad that's all you have. Shame. Shame. There's more to do. There's more to have. You are shut out from the best that God has to offer. And so they tell people they are shut out. But <laughs> but I can help you get those things that you are shut out from. And of course, if you follow my plan, I'm going to praise you. I will make much of you. You and I get to praise each other for being the ones who are on the inside, the ones that are not on the outside. You know what? We're the ones who get it. Now, in the case of the Galatians, The false teachers, they said that they were shutting out the non-Jewish believers because they hadn't kept the Jewish food laws and their men were not circumcised. But if they did, oh, would we make much of you? Imagine how much we're going to praise you if you do these things. You'd be really God's children. Right now, you're kind of shut out from being God's full children. But if you overcome this obstacle, and we'll tell you how, will make much of you. Oh, if you, if you, if you overcame this obstacle, then, then you could hear the, the promises of God in the, in the Bible and say, those are mine. Now you're mostly forgiven and technically you might get into heaven with just trusting in Jesus. You know, kind of like a guest or even a servant, but to really experience eternal life as God's sons and daughters, as God's heirs, let me tell you some of the extra things that you need to do. You know, be one of the ones that God really loves. Somebody who's really experiencing God's presence rather than somebody who simply is just tolerated by God. Now, dear Christian, this is precisely the same tactic used over and over and over and over and over again against the church. And you can see this in church history. This is what the Mormons did. This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses did. This is what the Seventh-day Adventists did. This is what many of the Restoration movements did. This is what the Second Blessing and the early Pentecostals did. This is what liberal churches do to this day. This is what many culturally conservative Christians do as well. Liberal or conservative, it doesn't matter to false teachers. Just let me set up an obstacle... And I can help you get over it so that we can both make much of each other. So today, even in many conservative churches, you, you hear people say, oh, you trust in Jesus. That's good. Now, in order to really know God's fatherly care and affection, you have to hear his voice in your head. You have to try to figure out which of the many thoughts and ideas in your head are him talking to you. No, you're, you're shut out. But if you buy my book, if you come to my church, if you attend my renewal weekend seminar, you watch my YouTube channel, or if you schedule a counseling session, then I'll show you how to overcome this obstacle that I just showed you was there. See this? One, there's an obstacle. Two, let the teacher show you how to get over it. Three, make much of that accomplishment. I'm going to make much of what you, with my help, just did. Oh, and of course we're going to say we're going to give glory to God for it. But you wouldn't have known how to do it if I didn't tell you. Because the Bible wouldn't have told you that just on its own. So don't fall for this tactic, dear brothers and sisters. There's no higher level once you've trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection. If you have repented and trusted in Christ. You are immediately a full co-heir with Christ. You are already and immediately God's child. If you've repented of sin and trusted in Christ's death and resurrection. And from that point forward, you will begin a slow transforming process to be formed more and more and more like Christ. But it will not be like by tactics. It's not by some special measures or some techniques that you have to learn. It's through very ordinary, boring means. Ordinary tools that the spirit of God transforms you. Reading and hearing God's word and explained, praying to him. Doing this on your own and with your church. A special kind of church? No. A simple church that preaches the gospel of Christ alone. One where the word of God dwells richly as each person is speaking of Christ to one another, singing of Christ to one another, calling out to God as Father, trusting in Christ's record in order to pray to God. Now liberal churches do it too. And we can see that in our, in our culture as well. Even ones that call themselves evangelical. So they reject the gospel of grace. They they focus on what the Christian has to do rather than what Christ has done for Christians on the cross. And then they're always on the prowl for the newest trend in culture. Whatever good deeds that our culture demands. Then the church latches on to these things and and they make it an obstacle for being right with God. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus. They might even say if they say that. But you also... Have to embrace this thing or, or do this thing, and we will make much of you. Embracing the LGBTQ agenda or critical race theory, or maybe accepting or the, the, the fact or, or, or claiming that loving indigenous people means embracing their religious practices. You do this, and we're going to celebrate that you are evolved. We're going to celebrate you. We have to point out the obstacle for you. The Bible wouldn't do that, but we create this obstacle, and once you get over it, will praise you as one of the good ones. In either case, these teachers are going to sell themselves as giving a blessing or a gift. And they're going to paint preachers like Paul who correct them as men who don't want good things for you. Now, one popular one of these in in evangelicalism requires you to quiet yourself with somebody who's received special training. This is very common. And then ask Jesus to show up in a vision. And then you can start asking him questions and even ask you to take you back in time. And and then and only then you can find healing for whatever troubles your soul. Now I wonder if you saw the same pattern there. They're going to identify an obstacle. That scripture doesn't identify. And the obstacle is this. You are shut out from healing of the pain in the past, it cannot be healed until you learn from me this new technique to get over it. Then there's the technique. Say these things, do these things, meet with the person who's got training from me or me. Ask Jesus to go back in time and to to tell you these things. None of these things, you'll find these techniques are not in the Bible. And then there's the make much of. We will celebrate that you did this, and we're going to call it a real accomplishment. And of course, the counselor gets made much of, but also the person who's received this is going to be praised for being one of the good ones who who knew where to go. So many techniques, so many special kinds of prayers invented to unlock God's presence and blessings basic theophastic prayer, advanced theophastic prayer, Emmanuel prayer, transformational prayer, listening prayer, discernment prayer, enough. How did Christ teach his disciples to pray? Talk to God as your father and trust that Christ Jesus made you God's child. And then here's a good list of things to pray about. Not a way to pray, but here are your needs, earthly needs forgiveness, holiness. Can you imagine, picture this, imagine a child of a good dad, like a really good dad. Imagine a child of a really good da- dad trying to learn tricks and methods for asking that, God, that, that his dad care about him. Can you imagine this. What would a dad do if he finds his son reading a book? A good dad reading a book about how to make his dad care about his needs and unlock blessings from his dad. What a foolish thing for that kid to do. And what a wicked thing for somebody to teach him. Buy my book and learn how to unlock gifts from your dad. Now, right before Jesus gives us the sweet, simple example of sweet, simple prayer, Lord's Prayer. He condemns people who think that the way and kind of prayer that a person does unlocks something from God. We can see this in Matthew chapter 6. Let's see this. This is the lead up to the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 verse 7. And when you pray, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So dear Christian, the the key to overcoming this temptation, the tricks of these false teachers, is not to start by arguing about that technique they come up with. And we'll get there. But first first consider the obstacle that they say is there, because it's not. They, it's not. False teachers usually fabricate a problem that they claim to fix. False teachers fabricate a problem that they claim to fix. Is it actually true that a believer is not healed of pain in the past until they get a vision from Jesus to go back for it? No. It's nowhere in the Bible. If you are a believer in Christ, if you belong to him by faith, you're not shut out from any healing. Healing which the Lord would be pleased to give you. How? The normal way. Ask him. Read scripture. Have the comforts and promises of the the Bible soothe your soul. And the spirit of God is pleased to do this. He's not waiting for you to come up with some method or learn some method that he hasn't given in scripture. He's a good father. Over and over again, the enemy of God will creep into the church and make them claim that the the Christian who has faith in Christ is either just short of salvation or a junior Christian. There's more, they will say. But it's not there, they invent obstacles. Then they give you the technique to get over it. And then they make much of you so that you make much of them. Don't believe it, dear brother, dear sister. Christ's life really did count as your righteous record before God. It really did. Christ's life really does count as your record. When you stand before God, it really does. How do you know that? He was raised from the dead. Christ's death really does count as the punishment for your sin. You've sinned. You've sinned terribly. You have, as have I. But Christ's death really does count as the full payment for your sin. How do we know that? He rose from the dead. It is enough. It is enough. It is enough to make him yours and to make you his. So do not buy a lie that somebody comes identifying an obstacle between you and God. And then you will not be susceptible to the second lie, which is, I'll show you how to get over it. Now, I'm glad to see that God has seen fit to gather together a people who desire to grow deeper in their knowledge of the word of God. I've seen that here. It pleases God. It's so sweet. But dear brothers and sisters, do not fall into that trap of making much of yourself. Even creating this as a barrier for knowing Christ. It is good to grow deeper in your knowledge of the word of God and of theology. That is good. But don't you dare treat it as some barrier for knowing Christ that you got over. And so you can make much of yourself. Going deeper in your knowledge of the word of God is beneficial. If you use it to make much of Christ, to increase your confidence in Christ, not to increase your confidence in your knowledge, not to increase your confidence that I'm one of the good ones because I know all these things. No nonsense. Use the growing in depth of the word of God to increase your knowledge and confidence in Christ to deepen your confidence in his finished work of the cross. So as you scroll through your podcast feeds or your YouTube feeds and you look for books, be aware of that weakness that those men and women will, A, make much of you, B, present another barrier that they'll help you overcome. Men calling themselves evangelical and men calling themselves reformed have amassed for themselves massive followers. Because by listening to them, you feel like you're one of the good ones. One of the good Christians. One of the ones God is more happy to have than those other Christians who listen to the wrong podcasts. This is foolish and dangerous, dear ones. Faith in Christ was always enough and sufficient. Third point, make it your greatest goal for Christ to be formed in you and your church. Make it your greatest goal for Christ to be formed in you and your church. Let's see this in verses 18 to 20. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and, and change my tone for I am perplexed about you thus far. God's word. Wait, hold on. Now Paul's saying it's good to be made much of. <laughs> well, look at this. What is Paul's goal? What is Paul's goal? That Christ is formed in the Galatians. This is his goal. And he's willing to suffer and work and labor and pay a lot of attention to the Galatians to accomplish this, that Christ would be formed in them. Now there's two basic ways that, that scripture talks about Christ being formed in a person or in a church. And there's no better place in scripture than, uh, than Ephesians four to, to look at both of those things. The two ways that scripture says Christ ought to be formed in a church Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You can see both of these things, I think. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 24. We're looking for the two ways that we want to see Christ formed in a church. Ephesians 4, verse 11. We'll read to 24. Familiar passage, probably to many of you. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of hearts, they have become callous and have have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not how you learn. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard the truth about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll end there. Now we saw these two ways that Christ is to be formed in a church or even in a person. The first, the church's knowledge of who Christ is. You might call this doctrine. Knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done. We speak the truth of Christ together, he says, sharing our lives in love, but we share the truth of Christ. We speak the truth to learn more and more about Christ, his character, his accomplishments, his perfections, his promises. It's it's kind of like painting a picture of Christ, who is our savior Right? Faith is in Christ, the gospel of Christ. And so we get to essentially with our words in a church, we, we paint a, a more clear picture of Christ. We know more about him. We're going to trust more in him. The more of the details are filled out. The more of scripture we, we apply to our, our knowledge of who Christ is. Not a different picture of Christ than when we first believed, but a, a more fulsome one. More of the details of who he is. The things he loves and the things he hates. And what has he accomplished? And I wonder if you notice the goal of Christ being formed in you in that way. What does he say? So that we may not, not be children. Carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning. So the, the goal of mature doctrine to have a growing and more mature and more full understanding of who Christ is and what he's done. What's the goal? So that we wouldn't be carried away by every wind of doctrine. When that teacher comes into the church or maybe is born into a Christian family and is among you. And starts saying these things, oh, there's this obstacle. You're not, you're not really a son unless you've done these things. We could say, no, not true. We've heard of what Christ has done. And we've heard that we exchange his record and his identity with him. And if he was the son of God, then we are. See how that works? The knowledge of Christ and who he is and what he's done protects us from that nonsense of somebody saying, oh, there's an obstacle that hasn't been overcome. Like, we know Christ overcame it. We know who he is. We've learned much about him in his word. And so we're less prone to believe this nonsense from men who try to flatter us or terrify us. Now this growing in Christ kind of a church, it doesn't save them. But what it does is it prevents them from falling prey to people putting up false obstacles that they will help them get over. Second thing that I, I, I trust you can see in this passage, the second way that a person or a church might grow up into Christ or Christ be formed in them is sanctification. It is actually becoming more like Christ. That's what sanctification means. Becoming more holy or holification. It's a bad word, but that would be what it would mean. Becoming more holy. The, the, becoming more and more holy. You're shaped in our character to be more like Christ to walk according to his law, to love God, to love neighbor in the way that scripture tells us to. And, and here false teachers, this is one of their favorite ones as well, because they'll make up new rules that God never imagined to put in the Bible. Here's one of the ways, if you want to be holy, the things you do, that wasn't there. Oh, by the way, you have to read my book or come to my church or come to my seminars, seminars to learn this thing because it's not in the Bible. but simply keep God's word. No extra rules needed. No extra insight needed. What does scripture say is the way to imitate Christ? Then dear brothers and sisters, let's just do that. Simple, not easy, (laughs) but simple. So a person will look more and more like Christ after salvation, not in order to get saved. That was accomplished by Christ's, holiness but it is a result of salvation it will be the result of a person who's been made new to walk as a child of god enjoying what christ enjoyed to simply trust and obey and delight in god as his father so here you can see the glorious way to make much of each other which is not at all making much of one another but caring much about one another paying much attention caring deeply about how your brothers and sisters in Christ know Christ Paul says he's he's like a mother in labor I trust that Paul never was in actual labor and so he's drawing an analogy of something he really doesn't know much about but like a mother in labor is making much of the child Not praising the child, but very concerned with the baby. So, so concerned that she is willing to suffer great pain in hopes that that child will see life. And that's the way to true unity and joy in a church, dear brothers and sisters. When we make it our greatest goal that Christ will be formed in us and in our church. When this is what we expect and demand and delight from our teachers and preachers. If they bring Christ accurately and consistently, rejoice because that's what you love the most. That is the right way to make much of each other as well. To labor that our brothers and sisters in Christ know him more. And if we lay uh, extra expectations and job descriptions descriptions on the church or for the members or the leaders, unity unity and joy might exist for a small period of time, but it won't last. But it will if the thing that we love the most about each other and the only thing that we expect from one another is that, would you help me know Christ crucified and risen? And simply walk as his child? Dear unbelieving guests, there is an obstacle between you and God. It is your sin and guilt. Because you stand guilty before God condemned for your sin. But the announcement and the promise of the gospel is that Jesus Christ overcame that obstacle for you. Not simply that he's willing to help you overcome it. No, but that he himself overcame that obstacle for you. That he lived the righteous life that you needed to live. And he died the death of hell and the wrath of God that you ought to have taken. The message of the gospel is, yes, there is a great obstacle between you and God. It is your sin and the guilt for it. But that Christ himself overcame that obstacle for you. Not next week, not even today, but 2,000 years ago, when he cried out, it is finished. And this is a gift that you receive not by overcoming an obstacle. But by trusting that he did it for you. By agreeing this is good. I do want to be forgiven and rescued from sin. I do want to be a child of God. And trust that his life and his death and his resurrection alone accomplished that for you. So turn to him. And trust that he accomplished salvation for you. And only trust that. And now, dear Christian, do not take your eyes off of your adopted birthright. Far from being shut out from God, you have direct access because you, na- you come in the name, you come in the record, the holy robes, the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father declared that he was his only begotten son, his beloved son, whom he was well pleased with. So make much of this. The only one who could wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water would be his child. And you have greater access than that. So do not listen to those fools who try to tell you of special ways to have access to him. They are robbing you. They're not helping Christ's gospel is truly not just enough, but exceedingly more than enough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do rejoice. Not ignoring that there was an obstacle between us and you, for that is undeniable. Our sin and guilt rise to the heavens. But we rejoice that rather than helping us get over that obstacle or keeping that obstacle in its place, that you sent your son to overcome that for us. Lord, we rejoice that Christ was perfect and holy and that he really was a man. He was born as every man is born, as a human baby. And he lived the life that we ought to have lived. And then he died the death that we ought to have died bearing the wrath of God, and that he rose from the dead. Lord, we rejoice that this this obstacle has been overcome by you yourself, but we are so weak and prone to turning our eyes off of Christ. Lord, would you prevent us from being arrogant enough to think that there's some obstacle that we could get over with somebody's help? Lord, would you keep us from being pray and and susceptible to men who would deceive us and pointing out an obstacle that they will help us to get over and that we would trust and rest in Christ and Christ alone. But I pray that you would work that in us in Jesus' name.